Looking back over a great year for space exploration, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. If you've been in deep cryogenic hibernation all year, well, you might be thankful you missed much of what's happened here on Earth. But that is not true for the world of space science, development, and exploration. In fact, space has been one of 2021's great success stories. We'll tell that story as six of my Planetary Society colleagues join me for our annual review, beginning with Society CEO Bill Nye. At the other end of the show waits Bruce Betts with another great What's Up review of the night sky, a random space fact this week in space history, and a new space trivia contest, of course. I can always recommend our free weekly newsletter, The Downlink, but this week I'll direct you first to the latest issue of our wonderful quarterly magazine, The Planetary Report. Why? Because it does what we can't do on the radio or in a podcast. It proudly displays our favorite space images from 2021, along with a great beginner's guide to night sky photography. There's more, but my favorite feature is an interview with my first boss at the Society. Charlene Anderson was also the first person hired by our three founders. She created with them the Planetary Report and served for many years as our associate director. Our members received the printed version, but the free digital edition of the Planetary Report is available to all at planetary.org planetary report. Bill, Happy New Year to you, and happy new era of astronomy, I hope, as uh, that big new telescope unfolds. I really wanted to get you on the show, not just to help us close out the year, but to help us celebrate the beginning of this new mission of discovery, the James Webb Space Telescope. It's fantastic, everybody. So hearken to our founder at the Planetary Society, one of our founders, Bruce Murray. He uh, talked all the time about the so-called unknown horizon. So you might say, what is James Webb going to discover? Well, it's going to go, it's going to look at light coming from the most distant reaches of the universe that we know of. It's a time machine looking back in time. And these are wonderful things. It's going to fill in paragraphs in the story of our solar system. These are all wonderful astronomical turns of phrase. But it's ultimately, what are you all going to find with this telescope? We don't know. That's why we <laughs> built it, to see what's out there. And so everybody, it really is an unknown thing, but it is the next logical step in cosmology or cosmological exploration in astrophysics and looking farther and deeper into the past. Thank you. I suspect in the conversation I'm about to have with a bunch of our colleagues that we're going to talk about what a great year it has been for planetary science. And if you would like to address that, because I think it's also been a good year for the Planetary Society. Well, we've had a great year at the Society, even though there's this doggone pandemic. We've grown. Thank you out there for uh, your support of the Planetary Society. We have at last a microphone on Mars. Mm. Uh, and that's from 20 plus years of work. You know, I was a member when the Mars microphone was proposed in the 1980s. And then it got put on the Mars Polar Lander, which became the Mars crash into the surface of Martian South Polar 
And so there is a mic already. There was already a microphone on Mars. Unfortunately, <laughs> crashed in 1999. Curiosity rover is still doing amazing stuff. The Perseverance rover is doing amazing things. The Ingenuity helicopter, mm. everybody. You all, we all might take it for granted. It's been the holidays, gift giving season. Many of you received a drone. You got a drone as a gift. And now you're taking pictures of your neighborhood from the sky. And you say, oh, this is great. This has all worked out. Well, on Mars, there's no air. To get the rotors to support the weight of this extremely lightweight spacecraft in very, very thin air, it's got to run at like Mach 0.6. It's like it's got to be just whirring all the time. And it worked. It's a very exciting time. And this year has been an exciting time in space exploration. And I remind everybody, the cost of planetary missions is so low compared to all the other stuff we spend our intellect and treasure on, spend intellect, apply our intellect and spend our treasure on. You guys, thank you all, you guys, my listeners, Matt's listeners, thank you for your support. It's been an extraordinary year. It's a big doggone deal, everybody. It's been a big year, Matt. Back to you, as they say. It has been a terrific year. I am uh, thrilled to have spent it with you and all of our colleagues, Bill, and I look forward to another turn around the sun and to that great moment when we discover that uh, we answer that second of your questions and discover that we're not alone. So everybody, if you're out there, these are the two questions that Bruce Murray used to ask, and Lou Friedman. Are we alone in the universe? And where did we come from? To answer those questions, you've got to explore space. Our own light sail too, which is in orbit right now and still taking amazing pictures and still demonstrating that if you figure out how to fly it, as the team has done, you can keep the thing aloft an extra two years, like <laughs> far beyond its original mission. So for you Planetary Society members and listeners everywhere, whether you're members or not, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get out there and change the world. Thank you, Bill. We'll return to LightSail when we bring Bruce in for uh, this week's edition of What's Up. All right, you guys. Happy New Year. Thank you all for your support. Happy New Year, Bill. That is the CEO of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye. We go now to my conversation with four more of my talented colleagues. You've heard them before on Planetary Radio. Editorial Director Jason Davis, Senior Space Policy Advisor and Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer, Communication Strategy and Canadian Space Policy Advisor Kate Howells, and Editor Ray Paletta. It's less than a quarter of our full discussion that included many more missions, a space policy review, and even how space popped up in pop culture across 2021. It's all waiting for you at planetary.org radio and across the web. Welcome, one and all. I know that you are all celebrating just as I have been. I mean, now that people are hearing this when it's published, the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope, has been up there. And at least as we speak, everything's going great. And so, yay, everybody. Yay! Goodness. <laughs> great job, little telescope. Casey, you probably know better than anybody what it's, uh, at least in this group, what it has taken to get to this point with this big telescope. It's quite a milestone, isn't it? I mean, this is literally a once-in-a-generation event that we've witnessed. It has taken a quarter of a century to build and launch this incredible capability. And as I keep emphasizing to people, this isn't just like slapping two Hubbles together and making a better telescope. It, it's fundamentally going to provide a new 
pathway to insight to the earliest periods of the cosmos and to other areas of, of the universe that we just literally cannot get from existing tools. There's a reason why it took so long and cost so much to build this, because it's a fundamentally new technology. So it's going to be truly uh, game-changing in terms of how we view the cosmos. Jason, let's go to you for a busy year at Mars, especially for uh, stuff coming down to the surface, but uh, in orbit as well. To me, this was the biggest event of the year until the final five days of the year when you know, <laughs> JWST just completely overshadowed everything else, uh, rightfully so. But earlier in the year, we had uh, three new Mars missions uh, arrive at Mars, and that was uh, a really big milestone it was the first time three countries, three different countries, had launched three different missions during the same launch window opportunity. NASA's Perseverance rover, um, which is uh, its next gigantic SUV-sized rover, that one's a big mission because it officially starts the process for sample return. Uh, it's going to be collecting uh, samples and you know, leaving them for future missions to collect. Around the same time, we also had Tianwen-1, uh, arrive at Mars, and that's China's new Mars mission. Um, nobody has ever been successful on their first try the way that uh, China was. Just really pulled it off really well, sent back some incredible pictures of its own, and is now um, exploring uh, Utopia Planitia, which is the same area of Mars that NASA's Viking uh, missions originally explored. And then you also had uh, HOPE, the, uh, the UAE's uh, United Arab Emirates' uh, Mars mission. It was their first mission. It's going to look at the climate of Mars uh, over time to see how uh, try to build this holistic picture of Mars' atmosphere. So really big uh, Mars year earlier in the year. Lest anybody think that we are totally and only devoted to Mars, ignore the T-shirt that I'm wearing, my <laughs> Mars uh, rover T-shirt. Let's go to Ray Pauletta. Ray, tell us about a couple of other places that we're in the process either of exploring or preparing to explore, uh, Juno and, and Bepi Colombo. Yeah, so just a just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Mars, you know, no biggie. Uh, <laughs> we've got Juno still out there. I mean, it's amazing to think that it launched in 2011 and it is still kicking. We are still getting scientific information and amazing pictures back. And back to Mercury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who else is doing it like Bepi Colombo right now, right? Like, who, nobody. Um, it's really cool to see Bepi Colombo on its way to Mercury after it performed the second of two Venus flybys this year. It'll need all the help it can get so it can get on its way to the planet. It took some really cool pictures of Venus, though. It looks like a almost like a radioactive cue ball from a distance. Like, it's really, really bright. So you couldn't get that many amazing, you know, up close, close and personal details, but it was still cool to see the planet. I think what's next for Bepi Colombo is it's got to do six Mercury flybys before it actually can enter the correct orbit. So we'll be watching and cheering it on from afar. Speaking of in there close by the sun, how about flying right into the sun's atmosphere? I got to throw you another curve because another one we didn't talk about is the Parker Solar Probe, which had those just good Lord, mind-bogglingly stunning, that video flying through the corona. I mean, what'd you guys think? That video was just like one of the coolest things I've seen all year, probably in years. I mean, seeing the Milky Way through the sun's corona, it's like, I don't even think my brain could have understood that sentence like 10 years ago. I could not have fathomed that coming to life. <laughs> Another thing I loved about that is, I mean, it really captured 
people's imaginations. Um, I know all of us, we're, we're always talking about space to all of our friends and family, regardless of whether they're interested in hearing about it. But <laughs> so when true. I shared the video uh, of the Parker Solar Probe footage, everybody I know who normally is pretty quiet when I post space stuff was piping up with questions and just expressing their amazement at what they were seeing. Not only is it amazement at, at you know, that this is what the sun's corona looks like, but also that humans have constructed a craft that can get that close to the sun, that can touch the sun. That's astonishing and very impressive. And I, I know one of the things that we all love about space exploration is the human ingenuity that makes all of it possible. So I think that was a really great example of just a very, very impressive mission doing something really cool that is very easy to appreciate. Let's stick with that theme of uh, generating all kinds of interest from our our friends and family who maybe get tired of us talking about space. Because if you're like me, the big thing that they all wanted to talk about was uh, billionaires going into space uh, and other people as well, as well as research. So Casey, I want to I turn to you. Is this, do you think we've now seen finally the real start of, uh, of commercial space tourism? Yeah, we saw three different companies provide private access to space for three different, well, multiple different crews, with one company launching three different times in one year, Blue Origin. I look back, so Spaceship One uh, from Boot Rutan launched in 2004 and won the X Prize. It wasn't until 2021, this year, that we saw Virgin Galactic actually begin its commercial operations for commercial customers, and it only flew once. It was a long time coming. This is what has been promised for a long time, and we're just starting to see the realization and also the kind of emerging complexities of the overall increase in access to space means there's all types of people now going into space that we have classically not associated with. And I think that's an interesting thing to see culturally. Let's turn back to uh, planetary science now. And Jason, come back to you and uh, talk about some notable successes uh, related to uh, visiting asteroids. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite missions of the past few years, just on just the way it's very, um, it has a very can-do spirit, a very unique way of doing things, has been the Hayabusa 2 mission. It just um, had all these neat little innovative tricks that it used to get uh, samples off of uh, asteroid Ryugu. It uh, returned its samples of asteroid Ryugu in December of 2020. However, we kind of considered an honorary 2021 event because uh, our best of awards at the end of the last year um, didn't account for it. And so we, we included it in our best of awards for this year. Right now, after it dropped off its samples, um, it headed on to a couple other asteroids. It won't get there until closer to the end of this decade, but um, it has a couple more asteroids to explore. And then OSIRIS-REx, NASA's uh, asteroid sample collection mission, uh, it did successfully collect its uh, samples in October of last year, and uh, it stuck around for a little while. And in May of this year, it began its long journey back to Earth. It should arrive in uh, 2023 and drop the samples off for us. Kate, let's stick with uh, small bodies out there uh, near the Earth and, and not so near the Earth with a, a couple of other uh, missions that got underway. I love when a year like this has missions arriving at, at their destinations and missions launching, and we kind of get this nice cadence. So we have some things to look forward to that launched this year. Um, the Lucy mission and the DART mission both launched, both very cool, very exciting, doing things that have never been done before. Uh, Lucy is one that I'm particularly fond of. And I got to say, I didn't know how cool it was until I listened to the Planetary Radio episode about the mission 
where I discovered all kinds of incredible things about this very cool little mission. It's heading out to the Jupiter Trojan asteroid. So it's asteroids that are in the same orbit as Jupiter, but actually so far away from Jupiter itself that they're, I think the closest the spacecraft will ever be to Jupiter is when it launched or maybe when it does its first Earth flyby. Uh, the yeah, Jupiter I think that's orbit, what we were told. Yeah. Yeah. The Jupiter orbit is just so huge. So that's kind of cool and mind boggling to begin with. This little spacecraft is going to visit several a- asteroids over the course of many years. It doesn't arrive at its first asteroid, which isn't even one of the Jupiter Trojans. It's a main belt asteroid uh, in 2025. And then two years later in 27, it'll get to its first Trojan asteroid. And over the course of its 12-year mission that it's got planned, it'll only actually be doing scientific observation of asteroids for a total of 24 hours. That's another tidbit I learned in that Planetary Radio episode. Everyone who hasn't heard it should go listen to it because it's such a killer episode. Checks in the mail, Kate. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Lots to look forward to. I look forward to continuing to work with all of you, my dear colleagues, Over this next year at the Planetary Society, you will be seeing great content and great activity from all of them. Thank you so much, Editorial Director Jason Davis, Kate Howells, Communication Strategy and Canadian Space Policy Advisor, Editor Ray Paletta, and Senior Space Policy Advisor, Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer. I look forward to talking to all of you again across the year right here on Planetary Radio as well. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks, Matt. Happy New Year. Thanks. Happy New Year. Woohoo! Stay with us for What's Up and a 2021 Light Sail Update. This is Planetary Radio. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family. Really any creative activity that's space-related. We invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks! There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah. Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Are you looking for a place to get more space? Catch the latest space exploration news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Make sure you like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Time for the last What's Up of 2021. So we welcome the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society, also the Program Manager, I think it is, for LightSail 2, the whole LightSail program, actually. That's Bruce Betts. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Matt! (laughs) Thank you. Lots of wonderful holiday wishes from so many of you out there. Thank you, one and all. Here's one from Michael Reitmayer. In uh, the state of Washington, where, you know, it does tend to be cloudy, he says, hello, from the Pacific Northwest. I'll have to take Bruce's word for his What's Up segment. All I see lately is the great dihydrogen monoxide nebula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't mention that every week because it doesn't change. Be careful, Michael. You know, watch out for that uh, dihydrogen monoxide. It can be very dangerous if it's in high enough concentrations. <laughs> and if you're underneath it for an extended period of time. So what's up? What's up? We got our last views of the beautiful planetary lineup in the early evening, low in the west. 
from lowest and hardest to see but brightest is Venus up to Saturn and then up to bright Jupiter. We got Mercury hanging out with the gang right now. And in fact, it is above Venus for the next week or so. And and the moon, the crescent moon. If you've got your, your crazed low horizon view to the western horizon, you're looking as soon as you can after sunset. Look for the moon to pass on the 2nd of January, Venus. On the 3rd, Mercury. On the 4th, Saturn. And on the 5th, Jupiter. Party on. Party on, indeed. Don't miss that meteor shower that's happening. You know, the one with the Q. <laughs> the one you don't want to say the name of? <laughs> the Quadrantids. Ooh, that wasn't bad. That was good. Well, well done. It can be one of the best showers of the year, uh, but it tends to have a pretty sharp peak. So check it out as close to the peak, which is the night of January 2nd to the 3rd. You can stare up and see tens of meteors per hour from a wonderfully dark site. We've got Mars, but Mars will be getting better in the morning later in the year. We move on to this week in space history. Two, no, it's going to be 2022. That would make it three years ago in 2019. New Horizons did the farthest flyby of an object from Earth ever when it flew by the 50-kilometer diameter Kuiper Belt object, Arakoth. And the 120th anniversary of the discovery of Ceres, which now would be the first discovery of a dwarf planet. At the time, it was a planet, and then it became an asteroid, or even occasionally it was a comet, and became a dwarf planet. And so it's had a real identity crisis, but happy 120th anniversary. I go on to random space fact. At the end of 2021, which, you know, it is, we have the most craft operating at Mars ever. By my count, 13 of them. Eight orbiters, three rovers, one lander, and one helicopter. <laughs> well done. Well done. I, I'm waiting. I was waiting for the five golden rings, of course. That's a, that's a totally different song. I would totally different. <laughs> Shall we move on to the trivia contest? I said, who do we have to thank for suggesting the planet name Uranus? How'd we do, Matt? This was quite a response, a near record response, partly because we heard from a lot of young people who are lucky enough to be in Mr. Chris Midden's sixth grade science class in good old Carbondale, Illinois, Yay! where, by the way, they are just yeah, they are just over two years from their second total solar eclipse in seven years, because Carbondale, that's where the paths of these two eclipses Eclipses happen to pass each other or cross over each other. So uh, hello, uh, all you uh, boys and girls out there. And uh, hello to Chris, who we uh, got to meet when we were there for the first of those uh, total solar eclipses. I have an entry here, a first-time entry, or at least a first-time winner, from Brian Gott in Ohio. He says it was German astronomer Johann Bode who suggested calling it Uranus in keeping with the tradition of using names from mythology. William Herschel, who discovered it, we've talked about this before, wanted to name it after King George III. Imagine, says Brian, sending a probe to planet George. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I'd kind of like that, I think. Is he right, though? <laughs> he is indeed correct. Bode came up with the name that was seen elsewhere than Great Britain as less offensive as Georgius Sidious. 
George's star, uh, named after George III. So eventually Uranus got uh, taken as the name, and we've been discussing pronunciation and making cheap jokes at its expense <laughs> ever since, at least for the English language speakers of the world. Congratulations, Brian. We're going to send you that beautiful 2022 International Space Station wall calendar. We'll get that in the mail to you uh, very soon from our Pasadena headquarters. I've got a simple question, but I've got caveats to try to prevent the trick question confusion. In 2021, how many deep space launches were there? Deep space, defining as to the moon or beyond, and yes, count JWST as one of them. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. Launches, not spacecraft. Such a simple question with so many potential confusing uh, places to go. Let's see how uh, people can find uh, other holes to dig themselves into out there. Uh, They have to do that, though, by the 5th of January. January 5, that's Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer for this one. And, you know, it's just the beginning of the year. Let's give away another one of those ISS, International Space Station, wall calendars. They're, They're buttes. They really are. All right. We're through that. It's your contribution now to the best of 2021. And who would be better to tell us about the status of LightSail? LightSail, the Planetary Society Solar Sail spacecraft launched in 2019, is still flying. We're still working with it. I'm still taking pretty pictures when I can. Team's still working to make it sail as efficiently as possible. I think I quoted Charles Dickens in a recent webinar. I'll do it again. It was the best of sailing. It was the worst of sailing in 2021. Uh, We really, over the summer, had some of our best sailing where generally where the solar sailing propulsion is balanced by the atmospheric drag. And typically we lose altitude every day, but we lose less when we're sailing. We actually gained altitude on several days during the summer uh, when after we'd done some calibration changes of the gyros, basically figured out how to how to sail the spacecraft better. And then solar storms started hitting, and uh, those inflate the atmosphere. They heat the upper atmosphere, and that increases the drag. And so it's been rather a drag for the last two or three months. We're uh, fighting it, but losing more altitude than, than ever before. So uh, as we always knew, we will end up in a fiery re-entry of glorious destruction. Uh, not sure when, at least several months off, but uh, we will keep flying it and doing our best. It's still still working. Nothing new is broken. Uh, we're, we're still going. We're still getting the most of it, and we're still putting our information out there. And we're also work, been working, uh, especially this year, with some upcoming NASA missions that are using solar sails. So NEA Scout and Solar Cruiser and ACS-3, which is a future Earth-orbiting solar sail. NEA Scout, of course, going to a near-Earth asteroid. And Solar Cruiser going out to Earth-Sun uh, L1 Lagrange point and also going to higher inclination doing exciting stuff a few years off. But Neoscout will launch on the first launch of SLS. So so whenever that happens, we're looking forward to Neoscout and taking solar sail technology to the next level. Quite a legacy for LightSail and all of you who've been involved in this project. And that, of course, includes all the members of the Planetary Society and everybody who gave to uh, the LightSail program. So uh, good on all of you. I just want to 
Well, once again, thank everyone who supported this. This was completely supported by individual donations. Uh, really un unprecedented in, in space how, how much uh, support we got over the 10 years, 11 years now of the program, uh, well over $7 million, which is still a, operating on a, a shoestring budget for a spacecraft, but uh, enough to make it work. And uh, we appreciate it. And I think we've uh, finished another uh, week, the last one, as I said, of 2021 of What's Up. Excellent. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about 2022 and all the cool space stuff that's going to happen. Thank you. Good night. And we'll be reporting all of it to you, including here on uh, What's Up with the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society, Bruce Betts. Uh, looking forward to another year with you, Bruce. And I with you, Matt. Thanks for big fun once again this last year. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members. Thank you, one and all. Marco Verda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Thank you to you guys, too, and Happy New Year, everyone, at Astro. Astro.